0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. This morning I want to read uh, to you, instead of reading with you, uh, there's some verses that are not in your bulletin. So I want to read from John 15, our Abide chapter we're going to read verse one, verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to skip down and do 9 and 10. So I'm just going to read God's Word to you this morning. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Then jumping down to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, I have never had a week in which I needed to abide more than this week. Uh, I know many of you know, but I just wanted to share with you, um, Tuesday, Tuesday, Lisa became very sick, very ill. She's, Lisa's never sick. I'm always sick, but Lisa's never sick, it seems like. And so it was really, really rare, and... Uh, She went to the doctor. They thought it was a stomach virus. They said, just kind of watch it. I went to growth group on Wednesday night, came back home. It was getting worse and worse. Her pain was very, very intense. And so we took her to the ER. If you have pain, ER is not the place to be, it seems, (laughs) uh, because it takes forever. And so um, about five o'clock in the morning, we got the news that she had stomach cancer. And that she had a a mass in her stomach and that it was malignant. And so um, immediately, obviously it felt like the air went out of the room and like we'd been punched in the stomach together. But uh, the Lord had prepared us. He had actually, uh, one of those weird things where when she was sick, I kept hearing the word cancer. But I was afraid. Yeah, I was afraid as a hus. It was my fear as a husband that something deeper was wrong, and so immediately he showed me exactly what to do, and uh, and every step after the bad news has been nothing but good news, and so um, uh, one of our dearest uh, friends and members here at the church, Dr. Lena Matthew i got a hold of her very very early in the morning and immediately things were set in motion Um, Lisa has one of the best surgeons in the world uh, who deals just with this kind of cancer we had that set up even before uh, we had a hospital bed Uh, the tests uh, which are very hard to get was set up for friday morning Uh, we had the surgery scheduled for monday which if you Know anything about the medical field? All of these are miracles. And then uh, I heard the be- biggest miracle of all is we got transferred from Good Sam to Columbia in one day. They say it usually takes three days, and that that was an amazing thing. And so all of the things after that terrible news have been just very powerful works of God to take care of our Lisa. And uh, sorry. Um, It is a tumor, but it's only in the stomach. And uh, it's a a specific tumor. It's very corny what I'm about to say, so prepare yourself. (laughs) It's a G-I-S-T tumor, so it's just a tumor. (laughs) I can't help it. I I know it's too early, but it's funny to me. I don't know why. So she has the top surgeon who's, gonna, who's going to operate on her tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. So if you would set aside that time to pray. Uh, obviously, surgeries can be backed up, but it's about, it's about a two-hour surgery. And, and the goodness of the Lord, not only all this happened so quickly, but there's an, a new um, treatment on the market. And the international specialist has taken Lisa on as, her, uh, as a patient. And so she will be getting not only the best treatment in the surgery, but the best treatment after the surgery to make sure that it doesn't come back. And so, uh, yeah. Now, she's been in the hospital the whole time because the pain has been very, very intense. And uh, she, um, she said numerous times yesterday, she said, I don't know how I went from being able to do everything on Wednesday to being able to do nothing. And the degree of the pain has been very intense. But last night, as we did what we're going to do here today, uh, while we were praying for her, she was able to walk without pain. And she was able to walk on her own. So she walked the hospital floor. And uh, Because she's determined to be strong going into the surgery. And uh, so the prayers are seeing incredible results. We see progress already. And, uh, you know, it's just an amazing thing. So some people have said to me, what are you doing here on this Sunday? Why aren't you with her? She told me to do this. <laughs> She said, we worked really hard on this abide thing. You will go and you will. You will abide. That's right. I, you know, I wouldn't say this is if she were here because it would embarrass her. But I don't know how much I think you do know, but she loves all of you so much. Um. She spends six months thinking about how can I help our people grow? She spends six months preparing, working on, on these series. Uh, every, every page that she writes in that book, she writes it thinking, how can I get the word of God into our people so they can grow in their relationship with God? So every, every page, she's, she, she doesn't write to write, she writes because she loves you. Now, if that's not enough guilt to get a book <laughs> and to do your devotions, I don't know what more I can do. But this, this series is so essential, friends, um, the longer you live, the, the more you realize you have very little control of the circumstances in your life. Things do not happen just because you cause them. Things happen to you which seem to have no cause whatsoever. And so unless there is an internal power which is flowing from the vine to you, the branch, then the storms around the vine will overwhelm you. And so today we look together at what is the Father up to? And what is, it, what is it in the midst of the storms of life, even a storm like cancer? What is it that that sustains us in the midst of this? And so, I have to hit again where Jesus says, right from the get-go, He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. What, what He's saying is this. You, in your natural state, you... Just as you, you have one nature and it's your nature. But in that nature are all your deficiency. In that nature is all your brokenness. And not only do you live with the brokenness of the choices that you've made, but you also have inherited the brokenness of your parents and your grandparents back for generations. So if you try to live this life, it is always an uphill struggle if you are trying to only live it in your own nature. The best that you will have is you will have more willpower than somebody else. What this is saying, what, the, what Jesus is saying by using divine branch analogy is He's saying, I have interpenetrated your personality. I have, I have injected my DNA, my nature, and I have locked in my nature with your nature. So that when someone truly is a Christian, not just someone who's religious, but when someone is truly a Christian, they now have two natures interlocked in their person. It's not just me anymore, it's me and Jesus. (laughs) Have you ever noticed something when you pour water over coffee, hot water over coffee? That what comes out, we don't say, oh, look, coffee and water. What do we say? We say, coffee. Mm. You see, those are two things with two different natures. But once they're joined, it's black gold. Do you understand? You can spend your whole life with just your nature. Do the best that you can. But that is not Christianity. Christianity is when your water has hit the coffee and now you're pure coffee. See, when we deal with this aspect of the vine and the branch, what, what, what Jesus is saying, and no other illustration would do, He's saying that you've got a root now that is rooted in all that heaven is and is rooted in all that heaven has and the vine from that root extends all the way to where you are and it connects and at that connection all the flow of what's true of heaven is flowing into you and your DNA, your nature has changed. No longer is it just your personality against the world. Now it's you and Jesus confronting every storm of all your life. But more than that, it's the very character of God is now connected to you. In, in such a way, think about this, this illustration of it. Suppose in your personality you have fear. You're facing things that are fearful because you don't know what the outcomes will be or because it hurts or whatever it is. And you're facing that and you're trying to do it in your own strength. Most people, what they do, they just try to avoid their fear, deny their fear, or they give in to their fear. But see, you don't have to do that because it doesn't count. Like You don't have to count on your ability to face fear. You now have a union with the courage of the fearless one. There's courage flowing. The very same Jesus who courageously went to a cross without fear is now in union with you so that it's not you going, I'm going to try to be courageous. It's instead you're like, by faith I know I have the courage of the Lion of Judah. And instead of it being just you trying to face things that you're afraid of, you don't have to deny that you're afraid. It's just you have access to the courage that took Jesus to the cross. And you get to decide will I just will I just move in my own personality or will I move in what I'm rooted and grounded in the very character of God See a lot of us don't realize and and this is why kind of a moral Christianity doesn't work or just the doctrinal theological Christianity doesn't work is is that in order to become a Christian your heart has to be supernaturally transplanted from the From the soil of this earth and be transplanted into the very vine of Jesus. So that instead of just being a morally restrained person, you're a supernaturally transformed person. So the indication of that has got to be that there are things now in your life because you're in the vine that are inexplicably there. And things that are absent because you're in the vine that are inexplicably absent. Where people should be able to see that there's something different about you. And so, that's what the Father is really about. The Father is the gardener. The Father loves the branch and He loves the vine. He loves the branch as much as He loves the vine. Because you are in Christ, He loves you as if you were Christ. And so... There has to come a day, friend, I mean, if you're really going to grow, there has to come a day where you don't question the gardener all the time. Where you don't say, how can you let this happen to me? There has to be a time when you have rooted and grounded yourself in the fact that you are loved by the Father just like Jesus is loved by the Father. And when you do that, you see, you'll begin to see even the bad things that are happening, God is transforming you even through those. But see, if you don't have a supernaturally changed heart, then what's going to come out is a lot of complaining. Everything will look negative. You know, when I found out, at least I had cancer, and, and I, I asked the Lord, okay, what should my posture be? Because, of course, I was praying for her. I laid hands on her. I rebuked the cancer. I rebuked the pain. All that stuff. And it didn't seem to do much. And I said, Lord, what do I do? And then you know what he said to me? He said, praise me. And, and you know what? I immediately, I, all these Bible verses came back to me. God inhabits the praises of His people. God is enthroned in the praises of His people. Do you understand that when circumstances come that you have no control over, what it does is it, it, it demonstrates your connection to the vine. Because if you start complaining and you start arguing with the vine dresser, what you're really saying is you know what's best. And what you're really saying is, I want more of what I have. Because, listen to me, if you complain, He's not enthroned on your complaints. He doesn't inhabit your murmurings. He inhabits your praises. If God before me... Even cancer can't be against me. You know? This is not because I'm strong. It's actually because I'm weak. And I I absolutely know that I have no power over cancer or anything else. I've never healed anyone. I've never saved anyone. I've never delivered anyone from demons. But I've seen who does do that. So what is He doing? Well, number one, He's he's looking to see, is there a connection between you as a branch and the vine? And then the second thing, and, and we'll get to this towards the end, but even if there is a connection, He will not allow a single branch to exist in your life that does not bring power and strength and love so that fruit is produced. So He prunes... And He deals with a disconnect. So the first thing I want to look at is how the Father looks at you. When He looks at your branch, what is He seeing and what is He looking for? He's checking. He's looking under, and He's looking underneath and He's saying, is the connection to the vine good? And so what you see quite often, friends, is you see that there are people, because they're religious or because they're moral, they have a connection, but it's a mechanical connection. It's a formal connection. And the Father doesn't want and, and doesn't even acknowledge a mechanical or a formal connection. There are many people who have been religious and Jesus is going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. Because they had a formal connection, a mechanical connection. They did it because they thought they had to, or they did it because in some way it was part of their routine. You see, the only connection that matters is a vital connection, is an organic connection. See, that always produces supernatural character change in your life. That's what fruit is. Fruit is something you can't explain, but it's there. Paul says it this way. I'm going to come to you in Romans, he says, I'm going to come and preach Christ to you, and I want to see abundant fruit in your lives. What's he saying? He's saying that the effect of the Word of God really taking root and being digested in your life produces in you things that make it clear there's the footprints of God in your life. There are things that people just can't explain, except that you are different. And the footprints of the Lord are evident in your life. <laughs> One of the nurses came in the other day, uh, I think it was Friday, and uh, and we were just, we were talking with her and asking her about her life and stuff. And we told her we were believers. And all of a sudden she jumped and she said, I knew there was something different in this room. <laughs> and then she told us her life story for the next however long. <laughs> we just kind of wanted her to change the pain meds. But, uh, <laughs> but she goes, there's something. So there, here's my wife. Weak, groggy, can hardly speak. And she looks at this lady with love and she says to her, you're an inspiration to me. And the lady walked out of that room walking on cloud nine. That's footprints of Jesus. That's the hand of the Lord in the midst. In other words, it could not be accounted for in the midst of the suffering that my wife is going through, except that Jesus is flowing like a vine and the branch in her life. You know, there are two signs that the gardener is looking for. And that gardener is your father. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's looking for these two signs. Verse 9 says he's looking for love. And verse 10 says he's looking for obedience. Well, what kind of love is he talking about? Well, it's a love that is drawn from the vine. Now, over the last few weeks, I don't know why, but I've done a lot of funeral services, memorial services. So I've been thinking about heaven a lot. And here's what, here's what I, I, I want you to listen to me. See, what's happened to many of us is we have believed a wrong religion about heaven. We believe something that's not biblical and it's not Christian. Now, on one hand, I understand it. As our loved ones fight, the fight against illness or sickness, it it is comforting in a way to say, well, they're finally at rest or they have have found peace. But the problem is, the Bible doesn't teach that heaven is just this place of peace. It really doesn't teach that at all because peace is not the main issue when when you die and you go to the next realm. As a matter of fact, in some ways, if you think about it, peace can be kind of boring. If you're going to be in peace for eternity, what the heck are you going to be doing? <laughs> and that's why people come up to me a lot of times and say, I don't really want to go to heaven, you know, it just sounds boring. And none of my friends are there anyway. And, uh... <laughs> you see, the only thing the Bible says God is, that's not an adjective is it says God is love. And where God is, love is. So heaven is not a world of peace. It's not a place where you lose your personality and enter into the great consciousness, no longer being you, but just being lost in the goo. No, what does the Bible say? The Bible says heaven is a world of love. Well, you've had taste of this in this life. I mean, even when, it, when we were teenagers, or those of you who were teenagers, man, when you're with your friends, even when you tell your parents, I'm going out with my friends, your parents, where are you going? I don't know. Just want to be with my friends. Because when you're with your friends, it doesn't matter where you are. But when you're really with your friends who are really your friends, time just does not even compute anymore. You, you get to the end of the night and you're like, where did the night go? Matter of fact, my dad said, where did the night go? A lot to me when I was a teenager and got grounded a lot because I was always late coming in for curfew. I wasn't doing anything bad. I just loved to be with my friends. See, if you get just a taste of that, you realize that's just a taste of what eternity will be like because heaven is a world of love. And when you are in love, time doesn't matter. Are you hearing me? <laughs> so I'm asking you what the gardener is asking you. And that is, do you understand it is an ever-growing love, not just for other people, though that will come, but it first and foremost is a love for Christ. Amen. When people think of you, what, it, what are the first three characteristics that they say about you? Would one of those be, you are loving? If not... Then your connection to the vine is sporadic and spotty, possibly formal and mechanical. Because you cannot be in the vine and not receive the constant flow of love from the throne. And then if you're not being loving in return, you're not connecting. And look, we live in New York. This is the lowest bar for being loving, world. I mean, we will run over old ladies to get faster in line at the shop, right? Don't I'm going to beat her because you got to get ahead of people. You got to get a you know, don't block me, don't get in the way of my. I mean, if you can't be loving here, you're in trouble. You know why? Because most of us have we are connecting our branch to cynicism and anger and bitterness, and somebody's ahead of us, and somebody has more than us. I once went to a town meeting here, and one of the people said to the town counselors or whatever, said, you guys are all going to hell because you raised the prices on the public swimming pools. That's how angry this person was because they're having to pay more for the swimming pool. I don't, I don't know how much you have to pay, but I'm not sure you go to hell just for that nor do you tell them in front of the whole town. But we live, in a, we live in a bitter, envious, jealous society. And if you're not seen as... You guys got really quiet on that one. So ask somebody around you. Do you see me as loving? And if not, then it's time to repent because the gardener is doing everything in your life to cut away anything that is keeping you from being loving. Because that's the fruit he's looking for. And it's... It's not just that you've become a pleasant person, a little bit nicer. You can do that on your own. This is you truly loving the unlovable. This is you loving people who can do nothing for you. This is loving people who have hurt you. Because this is a kind of love that flows from heaven. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. God commended His love toward us in that while we were still rebels, Christ died for us. See, not only is it a love that's different, but it's an obedience that dif- is different. It's an obedience that comes out of the love that you're experiencing through the vine. Have you ever you ever noticed in in, in any good romantic comedy, there's some aspect of this that shows up of your wish is my command to the one that you love. One of my favorite movies is Princess Bride. My daughter and I used to watch it together. And I love all the silliness in that. But there's this one part where the guy who falls in love with the girl, he's always saying to her, as you wish. You see, because that's what love is. Love isn't going, what do you want now? Wait till the commercial. Hopefully you'll forget it by halftime and then I won't have to do it at all. Notice what the psalmist says about God. He says, your law is my delight. Basically, he says, I search it day and night, not looking for a loophole, but I'm looking for ways to delight you because you delight me. I'm looking for new ways to please my beloved. Are you growing in this love to God? It's not just love for other people, love for people that are like you, Are people that you think you should love, but are you growing in your love for God? In a practical way, this becomes that you want to be with Him more and more. See, the mechanical is, I'm going to do the minimum. I'm going to punch the clock. Some 20-something years ago, I was pastoring a church, and I said, look, our services are horrible. You know, you guys come in, you come in at 11 o'clock, you punch in, and you punch out at 12, even if I'm still going, you've punched out, you know, and stuff. And I said, there is no hunger for God here. There's no love of His presence. And so I changed the music, and I changed the service, and I got to the beginnings of what we do here at Risen King. And, and almost every person in there said, we hate this. It's too happy. We tap our toes at the music. We do this or that. And they looked at me and said, you're supposed to come here at 11 and suffer. Because God, this isn't godly to enjoy it. We have to come and suffer. Then He has to be good to us all week because we suffered from 11 to 12 on Sunday. You see, if, if coming in His presence isn't sweet to you, And if the thought is, oh, I can't wait till this is over. Then your connection is to the clock, not to the vine. And the clock doesn't love you. And the clock will never die for you. You understand what I'm saying? See, have you ever had this experience where you go out for a meal at a really nice restaurant or something and you're full or you think you're full anyway and somebody orders their signature dessert and the waiter brings enough forks or spoons for everybody and you're like I'm not gonna eat this I'm not gonna eat this and then you take a bite and before long the entire dessert's gone and you're pretty sure it's in your body now but it starts with one bite and and if you're with me I make very embarrassing noises because of the pleasure that gives to me but what I'm saying is this is exactly what the psalmist says oh lord your law is sweeter than honey and sweeter than the honeycomb there is nothing like new love for the sweetness of this but can I I've been thinking about this somewhat. It's not just the explosive nature of this love. It's, it's the beauty and the tenderness that happens in real love. We, in our living room, we have these two chairs. They're, they're special to us. We got them in a special way and they're incredibly comfortable. And they sit side by side. And, and on Sunday nights lisa and i's ritual is we watch masterpiece whatever is on mysteries or british whatever and and we love those shows and we sit side by side and every few minutes lisa reaches her hand out and she says hold my hand and i hold her hand and she always asks me this question do you like holding my hand And I I always say to her, I say to her, yes, but what I, and and I get kind of choked up with it. Because what I really want to say is, honey, I could hold your hand forever. Because, see, it doesn't always have to be explosive for it to be sweet. It can just be the fact that you are with your beloved and you're together and you're you're touched together means the world. You see, that's what the Father is doing in your life. He's trying to show you through different things that are going on, whether it's the the sweetness of a dessert or the tenderness of a touch, that you were made for Him and He for you. And so it's a different kind of obedience because it grows out of love. And so when someone asks something of you when you're in that place of love, you look for, how can I do what my beloved most wants to do? Is your connection to the vine, the Father is looking at and saying, is it mechanical and formal? Or is it vital, intimate, and organic? Then, he, then Jesus says, the Father's also dealing with the, what those of us who know the organic connection, the intimate connection with the Son. And so what he does to us is he comes and he prunes our branches on our branch, and he prunes them in such a way to make us more effective, to make us more fruitful. A vine dresser out in Cal—no, up in uh, the Finger Lakes—said this: Nothing is more effective for the vine than pruning. Not even fertilizer. Not anything. You know, watering. Nothing else is more effective for the vine than pruning so if you go to a vineyard just after a pruning you'll see all these beautiful green leaves on the ground you'll see small little clusters of grapes on the ground and you look and you see the vine and it's completely naked it's been cut up in a hundred and bleeding in a hundred places and you're like why are these beautiful leaves on the ground Why are these little grape clusters on the ground? Surely they should have been saved. And yet the vine dresser says, no, those have to be pruned. They have to be cut off in order for the real fruit to come forth. You know what? Everything in life is like this. When a goldsmith gets gold, first thing it does is put the gold in the fire. So that the dross is burned out and so that what comes out is pure gold. If any athlete really has a good coach, that coach doesn't give him Snickers bars and Coca-Cola. He says, run one more lap, do one more workout, and the, the athlete who wants to be the premier athlete, in order to have gain, must have pain. This happens also with with parents, with children. If you've been a parent of a child, you know that your kids will not become courageous, noble, character-driven people for some big event in their life. They lie, they, they hide something, they do something wrong. And as a parent, you know the party's coming up or whatever's coming up, but you have to ground that little sucker. <laughs> because you got to teach them you cannot go through life with shortcuts. If you let them off, they'll just be liars. Because if they learn they can get away with it, they'll never become people who have any traction of character to face the true trials of life. But they will say to you, you have ruined my life. You have taken away my chance for any social acceptance whatsoever. I hold you personally responsible. (laughs) Of course, they don't say it that way. They just say, you're not fair. This isn't fair. But that's what they mean. And so what you see, friends... But well, you see in all of life, whatever circumstances we're in through a very careful and caring design in a in a limited, controlled environment, the only way to help someone is to hurt them. And if you don't see that at this point, you realize what's happening is you don't really have very good perspective on the gardener. One of the things that i I began to realize some years ago is is that every time bad things happened I was questioning the blessing of God. Every time things didn't go the way I wanted them to go I was like this person's to blame or I'm to blame or life's to blame or life's not fair and what I found in the midst of that is I was never making progress. And one day I was having a totally spiritual experience cutting my grass. I don't know why. God speaks to me through the lawnmower. I'm not sure why. (laughs) But I was cutting my grass and all of a sudden I was arguing with somebody from my past. Maybe I'm the only one that ever does that. But man, I was brilliant. I mean, everything they said I had an answer for. I mean, I was just taking them apart. And all of a sudden I began to realize, wait a minute the Lord is letting this come up because I need to deal with this. You know, because I was angry that these people had betrayed me. I was angry because they had taken away my career. They'd taken away my church. They'd taken away everything that I had worked for. And, And I was arguing with them why they were wrong and why I was right. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God began to move in me in a powerful way. And the first thing I saw was this, that from the day I connected to the vine, I have lived in the favor of God. From the day I connected to vine, curses had fallen to the ground and curses were broken and I lived from his favor, not trying to get his favor. And suddenly, instead of arguing with these people, I began to realize the gardener had used, what they did was wrong. What they did was not fair. Don't, don't I'm not sugarcoating what was done whatsoever. But I started realizing the gardener had used those men, even the lies and the slander they had against me, the gardener had used them to make me the man I am. And at that moment, I put a root in the ground, and I have never turned back from it. One, that I live in blessing, but two that I trust my Father. And a spiritual backbone came over me to where I'm not questioning circumstances. I'm not trying to make results where I have no right or ability to control. I am living in the vine because there's where the love and the power and the strength is, not outside of the vine, questioning, complaining, accusing God. See, the enemy's tactic is to get you to where you're always criticizing, complaining, skeptical. You're always trying to protect yourself. You're always trying to, in some way or another, make a way for yourself. And if that's true, friends, then you're no longer in the vine and you're all of the blessing is now up to you. And if you have any sense whatsoever, you realize life has been teaching you, you don't control life and to get to the place where you have to know and believe you cannot control your life but you can trust the one who does control your life and man I began to just really live a different way I have lived since that day responsive to the father not trying to make the father do what I want him to do and man you talk about having energy for that the energy you waste trying to get God on your side And the energy you waste of trying to get God to to bless your plans is energy that is so wasted because He will not make your idols successful. And He will not resource your idolatry. And if the end of your life is something other than God, He will not be the means to that end. This is what the Father is saying through the Son. See, this is Christian life. There is no other. The Father is intimately involved in every branch's life. He loves you like He loves the vine. And He is at work always. And Jesus also is at work. And the one stopping you is you. The greatness that is in you can come out when you surrender to the Father. Because He has a better plan for your life. And He has all the resources to get you there. Are you tracking with me on this? In other words, what I found in that moment was that not a thing had He taken away from me that was a loss to lose. But He had taken it away from me because it was a gain to keep. And so what I found, I go back all the way to what I learned when I was in college. There was a great missionary who wrote a journal His name was Jim Elliott. He was a college student at the time and he wrote this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So you are a fool if you try to hold on to what you can't keep. And you're a fool if you try to gain what's just going to be lost. Are you hearing me? So what he's doing is He's cutting the branches that are drawing you away from the stem. So let me just quickly say to you, here's three things. If you're you're vitally connected to the vine, then what has to be happening in your life for you to grow, for you to flourish, is that every every time your branches are cut, learn. Learn. You know what he cuts often? The good things. And the reason is because the good things in our lives tend to become ultimate things. Our marriages, our family, our friendships, our relationships, our job, our career. When he's cutting off a branch, even if for some reason you lose your job, and you're like, I didn't do anything wrong, but you lost your job. He's cutting it off, not because he will not supply, but because that thing is not supplying, but taking away your life. Taking away your love. Even your family can become idolatry. When you look to a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or somebody else and you say, you're my life. See, you've made something a vine that is nothing more than a branch, which will be stealing life from you while you think it's a vine. And so the father comes and he doesn't care how big the branch is that's sucking life out of you. He chops it off. And why does he do that? Well, he does it because you're too valuable to him to lose. The other thing is this. It's the nature of love. Love is exclusive. I always say this because it's funny to me, but there's a place in Lisa's life that nobody gets but me. She loves you, but not like she loves me. And if anybody tries to get that place, I do know some people in Brooklyn who will take them out. I'm working on names in the Bronx as well. You understand, there's a place that God has for you when another branch is trying to take it from you, playing like it's a vine. Even if it's a seemingly good thing, the father says, nope. And you need to learn. You can spend your whole life without perspective. Do you know why you laughed at me about the kid who said, my life is over when they're 16? It's because you realize their life's not over. They just don't have perspective yet. Why do you think you have perspective now? Because we still act like we're 16. See, what the biggest thing is to learn and say I don't trust my agenda. I trust His agenda. I don't trust my adrenaline. I trust the Spirit's revelation. I don't trust just because I want something. It's actually good for me. I trust that He knows what my heart really is. And then you start to realize, okay, maybe in my life there's all these really green leaves on the ground because He cut them off. And there's some little grape clusters on the ground because He cut them off. And I'm trying to put them back on with tape. Instead, I trust Him enough that I say, I'm going to obey Him even though I'm bleeding. I'm going to obey Him. I'm going to cling to the vine. You understand, as long as you cling to the vine, whatever happens outside of you cannot destroy you. One ounce of sin will kill you. A hundred pounds of suffering will not. Come on. What many of us believe is one ounce of suffering will kill us, so we go to a hundred pounds of sin. In order to, we'd rather be neurotics and crazy people than feel pain. And yet, there is no gain without the pain. And anything that he has taken away from you would be a loss to keep. And it's always a gain to lose. Are you hearing me? So here's my last statement on this. Jesus offers to be your vine. He's rooted in heaven, not earth. He's extended to you. He's interjected His nature, His DNA, into your nature, your DNA, so you are never fighting any battle alone. Gosh, that's awesome, isn't it? Do you know what Peter said about that? He said, you have everything you need for life and godliness. He said, all you have to do is start knowing His DNA. All you have to do is start knowing. He said, if you know Him then His precious promises are activated in your life. And instead of being just a mere man or a mere woman, now He says you become a partaker of the divine nature. Aren't you sick of being a mere person? The Lord, our Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He refuses to allow you to have another vine. He will cut off any other stem that you're attaching yourself to. Will you stand with me? I I know, I mean, some of us, many of us, we can spend a lot of time complaining, we can spend a lot of time being angry, we can spend a lot of time trying to numb our feelings. Instead of leaning into the vine, leaning into the pain, recognizing that anything I'm losing is a gain. Anything I try to keep is a loss. But this table is what tells us that this is how it works. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ was so in love with you that He was willing for His beloved Son to be cut off so that you will never be cut off from the vine. And if He keeps this promise, then every other promise is easy for Him. This table tells you that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, surrendered himself to the will of Father. He was trusting, he was obedient. And he did it for you. You see the only thing he didn't have after the cross that he had the only thing that he didn't have before the cross that he had after the cross was you. So everything that the cross is about is about you. And I understand if, if you have a formal, mechanical relationship with God, you just want to do the minimum. You just want to punch the clock. But if you've tasted and you've seen, if somehow when you sing one of these hill songs and you go, that's my heart. But sometimes when you're here and you hear the word being preached and you go, how does he know what happened yesterday in my life? How does he know what's going on in my heart? In those moments what you're seeing is how much the gardener loves you. How intimately involved with you he is. That even if you're a branch that is, you know, started growing down to the ground and you're in the dirt and the muck and the darkness, you're too valuable to him to cut off. He lifts you up. He takes you up and he Maybe He ties you down because you keep growing the wrong way. And maybe He retrains how you grow, but He dusts you off with the word He's spoken to you. You're cleansed. And then you're in the light. And the fruit you were made for becomes the fruit you experience. That only happens, friends, if you're vitally connected to Jesus. That only happens when you say, Oh, Lord Jesus, You are my Savior. You're my life. You're my vine." And then mere mortals have supernaturally transformed hearts. What an awesome thing. Sometimes people come up to me and they'll say this. They'll go, you know, I pop them in the mouth and I, I say, I love you in Jesus' name and that that was for you, you know. Because it makes me so angry sometimes that the enemy has deceived us. If you were worthy, you'd be the vine. But since you're not worthy, you get to be the branch. This table up here, this isn't for the worthy. The worthy don't need this table. Well, They don't exist either, but they don't need this table. This table, Jesus said, I came for the unrighteous. I came for the unworthy. I came for the sick. This is the table of Jesus that He set for unworthy people. So I'm going to ask you to come to the table after I pray over the elements. But I'm only going to ask you to do it if you're willing to be intimately, vitally, organically connected to the vine. If you're doing it as a ritual, it won't work. If you're doing it as a formality, don't do it. But if you're doing it and you say, Lord you were cut off from me. I'm willing for any branch to be cut off from me so that I can bear fruit. Then today's a day to come. We're going to have people stationed around the room. You just come to the one that's closest to you, but let's, let's pray together over this. Lord, dear, dearest Lord Jesus, this, these are ordinary elements. I mean, it's, our wonderful gluten-free crackers and uh, our grape juice. But you want to do something extraordinary today. You knew we needed something to touch. We needed something to taste. We needed something to see. And so you gave this to us. And as we feel it going down, as we experience the taste on our tongues, we're recognizing you've called us to digest your Word. Not just to read it, but to digest it. You've called us to taste and see that you are good. You've called us to encounter you in such a way that it becomes sweeter than honey. Sweeter than the honeycomb. Lord, let this be a fresh encounter with you today. At your table as you asked us. In Jesus' name.